ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. My name is Shad. I'm joined tonight by Matt and Brad. You guys doing okay? I am just fine. <laughs> just dandy. <laughs> just dandy. I like the authority. Not like that. I like the authority you had on the podcast name this week. There, there are some days when, um, some days when you've got it, and some days when you're trying not to cough in the middle of it. So <laughs> stuff happens. Hey, we want to say thank you all out there for joining us, being with us, and we'd like to hear from you. Which we have a, we'd love to hear from you on our social media presence. Where would one of those places be, Brad? Uh, you can like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. That is the number four corners as one word podcast. Excellent. We have another one too, don't we, Matt? We do. We are on Twitter. We are on twitter.com, and that is uh, at Podcast Four Corners. That's the capital P. That's the number four at Podcast Four Corners. And we want to hear from all of you. We want you to follow us. We want you to get tweeted us, send us DMs, everything, discussing wrestling, mixed martial arts, whatever you want to talk about. Yep. And then we actually have a third location as well on Instagram. It is for the number four Corners Podcast all mashed together. Um, there's not a whole lot on there right now because I just got it started. So why don't you help us out and let's get some more stuff on there. And then, if you don't like social media, we do have email as well. Don't we, Brad? Yep, you can email us, pitpodcast25 at gmail.com. Just a fair warning, I probably only check it about a week, once a week. So, if you don't hear from me for a while, it probably just means I haven't checked my email. <clears throat> and then, we've got a couple of shout-outs. The first is, we have a upcoming partnership starting with Collar and Elbow. Collar and Elbow, put together by wrestlers, for wrestlers and wrestling fans. Um, support your local indie wrestler. They have <clears throat> new designs that come out every three months. And once we get all of our, our paperwork straightened out and all of our ducks in a row, we're actually going to have discount codes for our listeners. So the guys that run uh, Collar and Elbow are good people. And the... <clears throat> Clothing, the the apparel is quality. I have the mirror image shirt in uh, dark heather gray. It's super comfortable, and it you know doesn't shrink in the wash or anything like that. So color and elbow, check them out, and <clears throat> we'll get you those discount codes soon. We also have another shout out we need to do. Actually, the most important shout out we need to do, right, Matt? Yes, that would be for Epico Cologne. I'm hoping that possibly we can throw up some pictures of Epico on our Instagram <laughs> account. <laughs> yeah, if that's not inappropriate. Take care of that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll need to. I'll need to do that. It's. <clears throat> at the, I've been kind of grabbing for air oxygen or opportunity with with what we put on there, but uh, we do need Epico on our Instagram. Maybe we could just Photoshop <laughs> photos of Epico into <laughs> random scenarios with us, just <laughs> like into our family vacation photos. Just, just so we can imagine that he's with us. I want, I, I, I want Epico to... Cologne and Dasher Hatfield Photoshop together. <laughs> That'd be pretty amazing. I would need to learn how to use Photoshop. <laughs> All right, so that's our. Those are our shout-outs. Check them out, guys. Um, 
and give Epico a like and a follow too. So we're going to um, tread some different territory this week. As uh, we have talked about quite a few times on this show and have hinted at, Shad was a professional wrestler in his younger days. Um, how long did you do it for? About eight years or so. So Matt and I are going to grill him a bit about his wrestling career. And um, so sit back and enjoy, and you're going to get to um, listen to some of the gory details of Shad's wrestling career. So Incidentally, if there are questions that you want to contribute, hit us up on social media, too. Yeah, we're that was actually a great idea. They can uh, they can tweet at us or send us uh, emails or whatever, and we can do like a follow up show where we ask all the uh, salacious details of these questions, <laughs> pull them out of you. Uh, and yes, uh, as Brad said, we're gonna we're gonna be a grilling Chad, uh, Law and Order style, putting him under the hot lamps. And to you mean yeah. like whenever somebody smokes too many cigarettes or eats too much chocolate cake? Sorry, John Mulaney reference. But My bad. I, it just kind of came out. I do want to make one announcement before we get to this segment, though. We have decided and voted on <clears throat> we are going to be watching Halloween Havoc 1995 for our flashback later this month. So if you want to join in the fun, give it a watch because there's monster trucks. <laughs> There indeed is a monster truck. There's a monster truck um, battle Yes. on the top of a roof. So, Shad, did you ever have a monster truck battle on the top of a roof that you may or may not have thrown a very tall man off of in the process? Uh, let me tell you something, brother. Not that I remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's not an experience that I have had uh, in my life, no. What would you say is the goofiest thing you've done in a wrestling ring? Goofiest? I suppose the full-on goofiest thing I've ever done as a regular spotter is a one-off thing. Uh, a one-off thing? I know there's there's one incident we've talked about, I think, on an old podcast, not related to this one, that, we, that was quite yeah, hilarious. That's what I was going to refer to was uh, the time I tried to murder a heavyweight champion with a toilet seat. Um. That's when you were thinking of? Yeah. Yeah, so um, at the time, I was doing a gimmick that was a bodyguard gimmick, really. <clears throat> Except as the bodyguard, I was also starting to get involved with stuff. So the guy I was working with was, he was in the main against the champion, and so here we go, we're doing the thing. <clears throat> and where it was one of the big shows for this promotion, I... Part of my gimmick was that I, I had weapons everywhere. So when I'm managing, I'm wearing like cargo, black cargo pants so I can have weapons and all those. I'm wearing a big long duster so I can have weapons and all those. And I'd stowed stuff under each corner. Well, as it so happens, <coughs> the uh, the champ rolls out near me and, you know, I run him over and I shove him up against the ring post. And I reach down behind the post under the ring to grab for what it is. And one corner had like a, you know, had a, a gimmick baseball bat, and one corner had a hard hat. As it turns out, this one had a toilet seat I'd gotten from a white elephant party. 
<clears throat> I think I actually still have a picture of that somewhere. And so I wind up and swing, and the champ doesn't so much dodge as just go limp because that's the fastest way to move. And it's not like one of those flimsy, like light plastic toilet seats. This was like a, a heavy, I don't think it was ceramic or anything, but it was one of those heavier ones. And I broke it around the ring post. And that hurt. <laughs> you know, I felt it all the way to my shoulders. Um, but on the other hand, there was, that was early on in my career and people would introduce me to new guys by like, Oh no, no, no. You got, you got to let me, let me, this is the guy that managed to like have a good way to work a toilet seat into a match as a weapon. You gotta, you gotta hear about this. So that was kind of like a nice, easy way of, um, of, uh, you know, introducing myself to people, um, in, in a way that was kind of amusing and fun. So it made life a little bit easier that way. So basically real life toilet humor. Just about. <laughs> <laughs> Just about, yeah. Uh, if Shaq, could you actually kind of talk in, just in, as background a little bit about the promotion itself? Because you were in... I was in a few. Okay. Um, <clears throat> What what exactly are you looking for? I guess. I guess. Um. So if if you did it for eight years, what was the? I guess let's talk about like the longest tenured promotion uh, you were with. One I spent the most time in. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, probably it was Bluegrass Championship Wrestling, which ran uh, mainly in the mountains of Southeast Kentucky, where people take their wrestling seriously. Now, incidentally, I'm from that part of the world, so I knew what I was getting into, but there's still a part of it where you don't quite understand just how seriously some people take it, you know? And I'm not, I don't want to feed the stereotype because the stereotype about the people that live there is garbage, but <clears throat> there are some folks that honestly just take it so seriously and are so invested in it that it can get rather intense. <laughs> so, um, you know, I came in there, uh, with a certain group of guys and, you know, trained with them and that sort of stuff and, and kind of worked on finding what made me different from other people. Um, cause I've had, I've got a long martial arts background. So I started making use of that, and and I spent a lot of time trying to find ways to uh, have my work, ring work um, be unique. Does that answer your question, or or was there something else that I, I didn't hit on? No, it basically does. That kind of actually leads me to another question. Like, was there ever was there ever a match or an incident where the crowd got so heated that you actually thought? there's going to be like a riot or some sort of someone's going to actually attack you from the crowd or did someone attack you from the crowd? Um, Cause I if they take it seriously, as I know yeah. sometimes people do, they believe in kayfabe brother. They too. <laughs> the, um, the worst case I had of it there, I, I got two stories for you. Um, the worst case I had of it was, uh, towards the end of my run, I did a, a hill preacher gimmick, which was 
basically a Bray Wyatt ripoff. And in doing so, with the uh, opioid epidemic being a big deal in that part of the world, um, I was cutting a promo and I felt like I was starting to lose them. And so that character had a tendency to try and jump up and down on on people's uh and i, I think i've told the story on on the podcast before me i had a tendency to try and jump up and down on sore spots and i told them that eh, all the bad stuff that happened regarding the opioid e- epidemic is because they were enablers and all of a sudden the building got really quiet and i looked around and i thought to myself i've either killed the town which is really bad because it's the town the promoter lived in or these people are going to wait for me in the parking lot. And then the, the baby faces music hits and everyone's on their feet cheering. And I thought, Oh good. I didn't kill the town. Oh God. They're going to wait for me in the parking lot. Um, the other thing, the other instance was we were doing a show at a local festival. So this is an outdoor thing. And it's the first time I got on the mic and I start running my mouth and this kid tries to shoot back something with me. Well, we're trying to keep our stuff as family friendly as possible, but this kid is, oh my Lord, saying, you know, the the things you you look at a kid and you're like, don't be saying that noise. Um, so I shot back at him with... <clears throat> oh yeah, kid. Well, I could have been your dad, but the dog beat me over the fence, and he looked like he was about ready to cry. And I kind of took a look around and I thought, oh, oh, this is not good. So I made sure to tell the baby faces after the match, just you just beat the living piss out of me, so these people are satisfied, okay? Because I think I might have pushed this a little too far, <laughs> and they kind of obliged they had um i think eric cannon once had one of the kids at ringside give uh chuck taylor a chop when he was making when he would make kids cry yeah yeah i um i'll be honest um little kids were one of the easiest ways to get heat because you you wouldn't even have to say anything to him i could just i'm six foot three and i could just stand there and glare down at them and they like kind of shrink in place, and then here comes everybody to come and defend them, without me even saying a word. All of a sudden, I've like pissed off this giant part of the crowd. I, I was at this Chikara show in this community center, and it was um, most of it was glass. So these kids were watching through the glass, and Chuck Taylor's in the ring, and he like storms outside this community center and yells at them, and these mm-hmm. kids like fled across the campus and they're like across the campus like staring back at him like he's a maniac and then he just like stormed back into the the room and started kept on with the match like nothing happened that's that's excellent that's perfect <clears throat> because it doesn't cost you anything right it doesn't hurt anything but it's also it's 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 exactly what uh, a lot of heels would do so yeah that's that's perfect perfect example so what um what in your opinion as someone that's done this and is still a fan what do you think like people that haven't actually done it take for granted the most <clears throat> the thing that um people take for granted the most is and this is going to sound this is going to kind of sound like a cop-out answer so I'll, I'll try and 
be a little more detailed, is how hard it really is. Because it's hard not only to go out there and do all this sort of stuff, but to go out there and do it well enough to get people invested and to have the the psychology to draw people in and still be able to think about that while <clears throat> taking bumps and, and getting run over and stuff like that. So, you know, things can happen and you're still trying to keep thinking on your feet and, and, and keep your, uh, keep your wits about you. <clears throat> so it's, it's tough. The, it, it doesn't help that there are a lot of people who get involved that are maybe good enough to work for their local promotion, but they don't have enough skills to be like good at it. And so if you're someone who might be um, a little bit, if you, if you're someone who might have a little more skill at it and then you're having to work around them and, it's it's a lot more complicated than I think people give it credit for, which is why on our podcast you'll hear me say a lot of times, like, if you have a fine match, there's nothing wrong with that. If it's fine, great. I'm happy with that. So what, um, what do you think was the hardest thing for you to learn? It's funny. Um, the hardest thing for me to learn was to set aside uh, the martial arts training. And so I wasn't trying to, like, block things or, um, you know, roll with it. It's, it's yep, yep, going to bump on this, going <clears> to <throat> bump, going to go down, going to gonna take this full on. And I'm just, there. It, it took me a while to unlearn, the, like, don't put your hands up, you know, don't cover up on this sort of stuff. You know, it, it, that that took some time. The other tough thing is is learning how to slow down and breathe in the middle of it, so you can stop and think. And because you can't just be thinking what comes next, you got to be. If you want to be good at it, you've got to be thinking like you've got a whole sequence of what you do next, and then what comes after that. Except it, it's not what comes after that. It's if it goes well, what do I do then? If it goes bad, what do I do then? So, um. Sometimes when you see like a match like fall apart in the ring, should sometimes those guys just slap on a headlock and work it out instead of sometimes, just trying to like struggle through what they thought they were supposed to do? Well, there's a um <clears throat> I'm going to refer to some cornetisms cuz he's just he's got a really good way of of summing it up, but sometimes you just need to grab a headlock and calm down. And go, okay, this isn't working. Do we need to get out of here, or what are we going to do? And then sometimes it's just everything's falling apart. The people aren't buying it. You know, you're going down like the Titanic. Just get out, right? You don't – there's um, there's a phrase that, that people trying to get their stuff in – like if a match is bombing and they're like, well, no, I got to get my stuff in. I got to do my stuff, right? Man, why are you going to kill yourself 
if if nobody cares, you getting your stuff in isn't going to make any difference at all about whether or not they care. It's not going to make it any better. So if it's bombing, do a do a sunset flip, do a small package or something, get to pin and and get out because if they already don't care, then you're not suddenly going to make them care when you do your your vertical suplex followed by your clothesline on the get up or something like that. So what um so did you work any like smarter crowds? Or did you mostly work like the more believed it was real crowds? Because I, I have a follow up question to this. Well, let me let me make a distinction. I'm not saying that people believed it was real okay um whenever i say the people that took it seriously like they want their they want their 1980s 1990s they want you to kayfabe them is what you mean they know but they buy into it because for them that's a big part of the fun right Mm -hmm. i worked a match in a college town once where all the college students that showed up wanted nothing more than to take the piss out of Everybody who was out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am a black belt. I was wearing my black belt. I'm throwing roundhouse kicks, you know, stuff like that. And I hear this kid say, hey, Daniel Bryan wants his move set back. And I look at him, and I'm I'm a baby face, but there's some stuff you can't let go. And I looked at him, and I said, I was doing this before Daniel Bryan had a driver's license, son. Sit down and shut up. I, I you know. They, it, that was the bizarre world crowd. And it wasn't like when the WWE says it because it's like, why are they cheering for this guy that we are booing this guy we don't want him to boo? It, it was, it, they were very actively trying to like flip the stuff and be like, no, we're going to cheer for this guy because we're not supposed to and we're going to boo this guy because we're not supposed to. Not because they were invested at all, just because they wanted to try and screw with the folks who are out there doing the work. So who like, um, well, that kind of answers my next question. I was going to say like, what kind of crowd do you think is typically the most willing to meet you halfway? Like who's willing to like, who's willing to like, you might not be doing exactly what they want, but they're there to have fun. Like I've been to some crowds that are, are really smart crowds, but they're there to have a good time. So they're willing to, they're willing to meet like the wrestlers halfway there. Ah, that's well, (coughs) it's, it's hard to say because even, even in the same location, different crowds have different personalities. Um, cause it's question of, you know, who came to the show that night. But if you get a crowd that's, that's into it and they're there because they they want to be there and they want to you know they they want to enjoy their show that makes life um that makes life a little bit easier because the idea of you know if if let's say that i've got someone and i'm i've got someone and i'm like throwing punches at them and some of them don't connect they're willing to be like if, if they're invested, it's not a, this is a problem. It's a, well, yeah, we would kind of expect that the guy, he's not going to hit all of them because the guy's probably not just going to stand there and let you punch him in the face repeatedly. 
okay. That's that. You know, they're willing to meet you. I guess they're willing to meet you halfway on that sort of stuff, and it's it's nice because you know you don't have to try and kill yourself. I'm trying to remember what I asked you the last time we did this. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, have yeah. you got anything you want to jump in with? Yeah, let me, let's just, uh, maybe you can talk about your first match ever, your first like official match, not just in training, <laughs> and what were your thoughts about it? Because okay, not... I've, never, I've never stepped in, foot inside a ring before, so even, even in front of like a, a smaller crowd, like I would probably be terrified because I wouldn't know I would be, everyone's looking at me, like I'd be afraid of screwing up. Like, what what was going through your mind for your first match, um, and how did it go? Let me back up with, with something you said there, when you said not in training. So this is the, like, we're not still teaching you stuff, and now the well, only way you're going to get better is go do it, or? Well, you know, I, I mean, like, on an actual show. Because, obviously, you're even your first match, like in front of an actual crowd, like at a, at a show, like you're still, you're still learning, but you know, actually just wor- going out there, working a match in front of the crowd versus just, you know, in front of the boys or as you're going through the training, that sort of thing. Well, to the very first match, are you, or before, you could talk about both. You could talk about how the whole experience. Okay. Didn't you manage like for a while before you actually like had a match? Yeah. Okay. The very first match I had way back when I first started training, because I started training and then grad school picked up and I couldn't get back into it. Right. Because it's grad school. So the, the workload was heavy. I was training. I'd been taught to do some bumping stuff. And they they were just like, look, here's a mask. Get out there. We've just got to we got to have this guy squash somebody. OK, fair enough. And at that point, I knew kind of where we were going with it so i just i went out and i kind of tunnel visioned on what we were doing because i was also aware that i did not <coughs> excuse me <coughs> i did not have the the wherewithal to be able to um you know make these changes or figure it out as i go or something like that so that very first match, I'm just like, okay, well, I'll, uh, uh, I'm just going out here and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And it was a short match, and I got squashed. The first, the first match I went out and did that was a, like, you're going out there as yourself, and you're having a match was actually in a tag match. There were two of us who'd been training. And so there's this tag tournament going on, and they had one more spot they had to fill. And we both, both of us had been doing the, um, had been doing manager stuff. So they send us out there, and we do this, and it's a, it's honestly kind of a silly match, um, because we were up against a masked tag team of the Malibu Medics, which is a whole different story. (laughs) and so we're out there doing that and i'm the bigger guy but since as uh the manager i was also a um i'm the bigger guy and i was also the enforcer this is also i'm kind of pushing the other guy around and be like no you get in there 
and you do this and you don't let these people do this stuff to you. You you take it back to them. And so, you know, over the course of the match, basically as it's going, I'm trying not to I'm just trying to keep it together because I also know that it's like, all right, we don't want to screw the I know it's the first match, but we don't want to screw up too big and, and like ruin the fun. And so I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to be out there and, and, and stay stay in character and do this. And you know, the your heart rate's up big and and it's the first time you've been out there and you got all these eyes on you and you like big big thought in the front of your head is don't screw up. And so you're trying to work your way through it. And, you know, the match ends. You know, we 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 take the fall. And we get done, and my thought whenever I get to the back is, hey, you know, that wasn't awful. Uh, <laughs> I, I I had no illusions that we were good, but the thought was, hey, we didn't we didn't suck. And that's really what I was concerned about. Um and then as t- as time goes by, you've it's really a learn by doing thing. You have to kind of grow into it as you go. It's not it. There's some people who might be natural at it, but there's still there's still a, uh, an adjustment period. Unless you're used to a whole bunch of people who are looking at you and may or may not be like howling for your blood. There, there's not an experience that's quite like it. Does that answer your question? It's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really it's different than because I've done like stage productions before and things mm-hmm. like that. It's different than all of that. There's this mixture of reading the crowd. And, and pushing the crowd's buttons and ha- remembering that psychology and making sure that you keep track of everything and having to do that in the middle of taking bumps, which even if you've done it a million times, it's still not the most comfortable thing in the world. It's it's a whole different set of skills. Yeah, it sounds that way because you're it sounds like there's literally like a dozen different spinning plates that are up in the air at any given time. Because mm-hmm. you have to, you know, you have to follow. Out. If you have a layout of the match, it seems you have to follow that. Otherwise, you know, you're calling stuff, so you got to like pay attention to that. You got to be doing the moves, but you're also trying to read the crowd and get their response and see if you need to tweak things. Um, yeah, do, would you say that because pro wrestling is kind of like inherently, I don't know, interactive to a large extent, is that why it's kind of a different reaction? Because I. I I've never done pro wrestling, obviously, but I mean, I've done like you know, acting before, even if it's just like back in high school or whatever. And that you like, you have a script, you're following the script, right? Maybe you can play around with it to get a, a different reactions from people at the appropriate spots. But it's a whole other ball game when you're doing like you know wrestling right there live in front of people. You, you maybe need to tweak things. Maybe you need to like do this spot to get their reaction. And you might be getting punched in the face at the time. Yeah, exactly. So you're no, you're you're right. There's it's it's not only keeping track of what's going on, but but making a plan going forward. You're mm-hmm. yeah, you're 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 on track with that. I have a question. I have to I have to 
preface this. Did you ever watch The Simpsons back in the day? I never was a Simpsons guy. Okay. Um, it just never came together. So there's an episode where Le- they make a Lisa doll, and she's doing the voice for it. And she's in this mm-hmm. recording studio for, like, hours and is, you know, taking fair because she's never done it before. And then Krusty the Clown comes in for, like, his mm-hmm. recording session. And he's, like, in and out in, like, two seconds because he's done it so much. Like, when someone, like, because you've talked about working, like, Bobby Fulton coming through before. Is that what mm-hmm. it's kind of like watching those guys that have been doing it for, like, 30 years is just, like, they just roll off this you know, like it's no effort through the whole process of a match. There's since they have so much experience, they're so relaxed about it. You know, it, it, for example, um, if, if you were to take John Cena and have him go work just on some dinky little indie show, then, you know, he's not, he's done it. Right, he's been to the top of the mountain. He knows what it's like. He's not concerned. Maybe John Cena is a bad example because if he worked a dinky little indie show, people would show up from all over. But you know, take your pick. Someone who's been, who's gone out and had a match at Mania, for example. What what in, what in the hell do they have to be afraid of in a building of five hundred people? And so it'll be like, yeah, don't worry about it. Here, we'll 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 do some of this stuff. Um, we'll finish it this way, and we'll you know we'll just we'll just kind of do some stuff in between, and you know they're they're not worried about it. They're fine. They're not they're not concerned in the slightest. And so part of that is yeah, it's it's just familiarity with what's going on, because one of the things that I have heard said is. You've got to get to know who you are in the ring. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know what your gimmick is. Therefore, you know, uh, you know, if, if, if I was out there is, uh, in my Hill Preacher gimmick, I knew how he would react because I spent a lot of time working on what the headspace for that guy is. So I don't have to plan everything i just i have an idea of how he reacts part of the reason that you know the undertaker has been so good as a character worker is because he knows how the undertaker reacts when stuff happens there's there's no moment of indecision of like oh god what if this happens it's just like nope i know what i know what i'm gonna do i'm aware of it you have to know who you are Whenever you get out there, that's and 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 the other stuff will come along with that. So you see new guys who get a new gimmick and they look like they're floundering. That's part of why. So it's kind of just like again, it's almost like acting, where you kind of have to figure out what your character is, and not not just like what should I be doing, but also just how would this person react? You kind of have to bring this person to life. Yeah, there's. Yeah, that that's John it, Moxley knows how Dean Ambrose reacts to stuff, and so if you've ever seen any backstage stuff, John Moxley's like super relaxed. He's not worried about nothing. 
because he knows that when Dean gets out there to do stuff, he knows what Dean Ambrose does. Um, it, it, it's it's on one hand, it's kind of like acting in terms of character work, mm-hmm. but then on the other hand, it's not like you can say cut and can we do another take? You know, yeah, the way you described it, it, it makes it almost seem like you're kind of just out there doing to a slight extent. You're out there doing like improv because again, like if you're if you're acting, you can kind of have you might have input as to what your character's like. But you're kind of dealing with the script, whereas in professional wrestling, like if you're, it's almost like improv. You're like you're having to gauge what the crowd's doing. Mm-hmm. If you're in a, suddenly in a situation like a spot, or or if you're doing something like outside the ring, maybe if you're in like a hardcore match, or whatever. Like you have to kind of figure, huh? What would my what would my character do in this situation? I have to kind of stay true to the character. Like he wouldn't be logical for them to do this thing, etc. That's yeah. That's actually one of my biggest um, complaints with a lot of indie wrestlers is um, I'll use Silas Young as an example. And I think Matt knows where I'm going to go with this is he has this character of being like the last real man and he portrays a certain character, but then he gets in the ring and it all falls apart because he doesn't wrestle like his character. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good way of putting it. The um, one of the things that you will see happen is um, if if people if you don't know who you're supposed to be, part of it is people are going to notice and they're going to see what's going on. If you wanted a if you want what would probably be the closest analog I can think of that's not physical, at least for how I prefer to do it is are, are you aware of how Reno 911 was done? That was mostly like improv, they, wasn't it? Yeah, they set up a scene and they say, this is what's going on in it, and this is kind of where we want it to go. Do it. And so that's kind of, on one hand, that's that's kind of like it. Um, and on the other hand, it's also not, because well, they didn't get punched in the face. Um, generally. <laughs> Sorry, you have and me thinking about Reno nine one one now. That's all right. Um, and so you there there's a there's a lot of improvisational thinking that goes on. The you you guys remember a few years ago there was an elimination chamber that was falling apart until Dolph Ziggler kind of took control and was directing traffic basically out there. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I remember that one. Okay. There's a reason why people were giving him so much credit in that is because not only is he out there directing traffic, but basically he's thinking he was doing the thinking for everybody else in the ring. Um, there are some people like Randy Savage and DDP were like this is whenever they were going to do a match, they laid everything out. Um, I I didn't like that. I hated that. I didn't I didn't want to lay everything out because first of all, to me, <coughs> it's inorganic. And then second, if we're gonna go out here, if 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 we're supposed to go out here and have a match that looks like we're having a physical contest slash fight, then there's gonna be some stuff that's not gonna go smoothly, or you know, I'm going to change something up on the fly and that's just going to happen. And so 
I didn't like doing it that way. I liked having an idea of some stuff, but I didn't I didn't want a plan for everything. Just let us just let us go out there and own it. Um, and if it sucks, then it sucks, and you have a stinky match. And it's happened before, and it'll happen again, and life goes on. Is there a spot on the card you hated being in? Hey, before, you say, you, Matt? before you answer that, um, just as a correlation to what you just said, is uh-huh. that kind of is that just is that how you were trained, or is that just your personal preference? How because that's kind of like a very old school traditional way, where it's like, no, we're going to call in the ring, or at least most of what you're going to call in the ring, because you know, back in the day, that's that's what people wanted to do because you want to get a feel for the crowd. Yeah. And you wanted to, to, like you said, have it be organic where everything kind of grows. Maybe you have an idea of some things you're going to like work or try <laughs> out, but you want to see what the crowd's like reacting to and then adjust accordingly. And so was what that feels just natural kinda, for me to do. Yeah. Um, oh, that, so that was just how you, what you felt it, like. It wasn't like how you trained. Like one of the guys that trained me liked to lay things out a lot. And I did not care for it. Um, the realization I came to is, look, if we lay out too much ahead of time, I'm going to, if, if we lay out too much and I try to remember it all, I'm going to forget all of it. If we decide we want to do a handful of things, I can remember that because you want me to hang on to that as well as everything else going on. And so for me, it felt much, I was much more comfortable doing it. If I had an idea of how we were going to start, if I had an idea of how we were going to end, and if I had an idea for a big moment in the middle, I was that's how I preferred to do it. And some folks didn't like that, and the problem is I just I ended up not working real well with them. You know, I, I like to believe in hindsight that I was good at getting people in the crowd emotionally invested. I'm not going to say I was a great work rate boss. I'm not going to say that I did, you know, the coolest moves. <clears throat> my big thing, I believe, my strongest point was that I could evoke some reaction from the crowd. If I was a heel, I could evoke some sort of disdain from them. And if I was a baby face, I felt like I could get people on my side. And so I wasn't good enough to be able to just work with whoever. And I I knew that. And like I said, sometimes you just have a match that sucks. It's not the you you're not the first. You won't be the last happens to everybody. Nobody has every time out had a great match. Sooner or later, you're going to have one that just sucks. Yeah. So it happens. And and that was that was how I looked at it is well, if it sucks, it sucks. And that I felt more natural that way. And from talking with, with with veterans that would come through sometimes, that was usually the preferred thing anyway. So I I felt really comfortable with it hearing Bobby Fulton or or Bobby Eaton or um Oh Lord! Now I'm—I don't want to be name dropping in this, but to, to hear people who've been at it for a while say that, I felt very comfortable in in wanting to do it that way. 
so I guess I guess it's an old school thing, but it was kind of my decision to want to do it that way. Fair enough, Brad. I uh, I actually cut your question off. Oh, uh, is there a is there a placement on the card you did not like working in? <sighs> kind of. Um, here's the thing that I think some people forget. <clears throat> where's put where where like. I'm going to ask you this question. Tell me what the first thing that comes to mind. What's the most important place on the card? The first spot. Most important spot on the card is the main event. Because that's what everything's building to. The second most important spot on the card is the opener. Because that's you're supposed to get people invested. That's what gets people excited for the rest of the show. That's how you have a good build to that main event. Because the main event... Is supposed to be people. You, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> people you care about and want to see and are interested in. Okay, but you've got to have that that good opener. There are some folks that forget that, and they just kind of throw whatever into the opener. The place that I did not enjoy being was usually the second match on the card because. Either the second match on the card, or you're in the latter half of the card and you're in the piss break match. Because that's... You know very well what it is. And that's... It's kind of disheartening to be like, well, you know, I'm in the I'm in the breather spot. Or I'm in the second match on the card, which means it's the... Even if... If the first match is good, even if the second match tanks, then you can still pick up and go with it. So you're, it's either the safety spot or the breather spot. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but it, without having that, having a little bit of pressure, it felt like there was an incentive to to maybe to go as hard as you could. So what, what, what about being like the match before the main event? Did that one suck? Generally not, because you don't want to have a, a stinky match right before the main event, because you don't want to kill the crowd for the main event. Um, which is why, if you look at a breather match, like on a big card, that's usually two matches before the main event. Okay. Or maybe three, depending on the length. That way you have time to build. If, if it just totally bombs, <coughs> or the crowd gets disengaged, you have time to get the, the ball rolling again. So, being semi-main, semi-main's great. Okay. All right, then. <laughs> Sorry, I was burping, so I couldn't respond. That's okay. I keep hacking and wheezing through our podcasts lately, so... It's that time of year. Um, yeah, I... I been trying i've whipped the sinus infection but i've still got the sore throat for weeks now so i'm gonna have to dig up i'm gonna have to dig <laughs> up the original podcasts and um <laughs> post them for um just as bonus content one of these weeks too just so people oh, can fair. hear it more in depth um it's a bit different yeah yeah we're, we're approaching it a little bit differently too yeah and there's an aspect of this that's just look the genie's out of the bottle like they hate tough enough was 15 years ago at this point. Uh, there's some old timers. years, wasn't it? 
something like that. There are some old timers that are just mad that folks know now. And I understand that because you're brought up in a time when you, you protect what you're doing. You don't let it be like people can't make it into a joke, but. You know what, though? The old timers are full of shit on that, because if you go back in like the 40s and 50s, it was a pretty well known that it was fake at the time, too. Like it's the the breaking of kayfabe that like Cornette and people go on about isn't new. Like it's always been there. It's just, well, even like, even Cornette's not really all that bitter about it. He said himself, he's like the genie's out of the bottle. Why should I, you know, get get too torqued up about it? There's a certain amount of the way he sees it is is not respecting what it is you're doing or not paying respect to the to to what it is and the other people around you doing it like if you can do a comedy match without the whole thing being a complete joke and the difference is you might be doing something silly but it's also not something that might reflect on the other people it's it's contained is that point of view that's where that's coming from i think the pro- i think the thing that Cornette misses though is um is that stuff because kayfabe doesn't exist like that those things those fourth wall breaking shows can exist and they don't hurt anything because that's there for the people that want it like he was upset yeah. at the Joey Janela um thing where the invisible man won and it was that's that's annoying because that's a training exercise Working a match against the Invisible Man's a training exercise, yeah, but, for God's but sake. But he misses like the funny things about that because it was New Orleans where pile drivers were banned, and a guy ah. gave gave um, the Invisible Man a pile driver, and a guy dressed as someone from the commission came and threw him out of the show. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I, I feel Cornette has lost all sense of like humor with regards to some of this stuff. The other, the other thing I was going to say is that. If you come from a time period where the only flavors are chocolate and vanilla, and then all of a sudden you run into chocolate and vanilla and Rocky Road and Neapolitan and and orange sherbet and you know it's all over the map, then part of it's going to be like there's going to be an aspect of it of like well, when did all this become necessary? But you know, teach their own, I guess. You know, you know what it's like now. It's like um. It's like when Banky pulls out his porno magazines and chasing Amy and he's talking about how variety is the spice of life with his porno collection. That's kind of like what wrestling <laughs> is now. There's there's a lot of different flavors now. And all right, fine. It's the the other thing that happens is I'm pretty sure that he's clued into his gimmick now, so he knows what people are wanting to hear from him. So whenever they send this stuff at him, he knows what gets people to listen, so might as well give it to him, right? Yeah, I don't know. He he's he's a source of frustration because I wish he would just stick to the stuff he loves because he's a great source of information on things. Because um, the great thing about Jim Cornette is he's such a meticulous he was such a meticulous note taker about his whole career that you know most of it's <laughs> accurate because he's reading it off a piece of paper. Yeah, he he kept notes for everything. Oh, it's insane. Like he even keeps notes of like <laughs> um what move they won with and matches he managed and like TV ratings and houses for like shows he was on. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, he kept track of the finish because if they say, "Look, this is what the finish is," then 
don't repeat the finish because that that looks bad. Uh, you know that I get that that makes sense, but it, it's it's a different kind of thing. And the other side to it is the guy knows his um, the the basic concepts, the underline the underpinnings of the whole thing. He's an he's a genius at that stuff. It's just once you get to where you know, once you've made the cake up to a certain, or once you've made the pizza up to a certain point, and you decide that you're going to put pineapple on it, and you see the reaction that some people have to it, you know, it's like, well, it underneath it, it's still the same stuff. Yeah. So. So I'm going to see if I can get you to tell this story without leading you too much. So. This is one of the things that stuck out the last time we talked about this. And this is, we're talking years now. Yeah. Um, you're telling a story about belt marks. And um, you told a specific story that made me Oh, I got you. Yeah. Yep, I actually know exactly what this is. I want is. you to tell this for Matt because I want to hear his reaction. Okay. Okay. So I was at this show and I was working for a different company. And I'm just, I'm hanging out in the back. I've done... I've done my match. I'm starting to get geared down. No big deal, right? And I'm hanging out there, and we're we're getting ready to have people go out. And I'm looking around. You know, I'm just I'm taking my stuff off because when I was in the back, unless I was talking to somebody, I, I stayed pretty quiet. Because guess what? If you if you stay pretty quiet, then you know people leave you alone. Um, and it's nice and. You know, it's nice and low stress that way. So I'm hanging out, and <clears throat> I look up, and this guy's getting ready to go out, and he's he's the current champion then. And he's getting ready to go through the curtain, and he takes the belt off his shoulder, and he looks at himself in it, and he kisses it and puts it back on his shoulder before he oh. goes out. Okay. And I think to myself, seriously? Like, ser- <sighs> fine, whatever. Because, you know, there are some people who, I guess their sense of success is if they're, if they hold a title or not. I wanted to hold the title because it, for a long time, it was something I hadn't done. Um, and part of it was, I felt like I didn't need to, you know, if I could get the people invested without that, then I guess there were a lot of folks that felt like, well, we didn't need to do it. But I was like, uh, it was something I, I, I wanted to do so I could say I, I did it, right? And then there are some people who are not happy unless they are holding one. And then that's they start politicking like crazy or undercutting people or something like that. Just so that when they walk through the curtain, they can have that belt either around their waist or over their shoulder. I have a follow-up question to that because this was part of the story the first time that made it so memorable. So the guy that mm-hmm. kissed the belt, how many title reigns did he had before that? Is that um, one or two before that. So this was not the first time that he'd held that strap. I, I knew where that story was going. It still gave me douche chills. <laughs> wow. So he he literally just he kissed it. like He had his own private little moment with the belt. <laughs> <laughs> now we're having to go fair, this was like a, this was like title. a uh this was like a first date kiss this wasn't like a i bought you dinner kiss but was it was it a nice that's not even a good joke way to put it was but, it at least a, 
an attractive title belt, or was it like one of those dollar store title belts some of those really chintzy promotions have? No, no. It was a nice belt. Okay. It was... It, <laughs> this place actually paid to have theirs custom made. Oh, okay. Um, now, the other thing that I thought in the course of the... Because I was just thinking about this from when you said it. Um, the... What turns or what at least turns out for me is that that might have been part of the character that he had. Um, I, I didn't work with him much, so the the idea was I I don't know what um, I, I don't know if that might have played into it if that was part of the part of the gimmick or not, but you know I, I didn't pursue it. I didn't feel like it was worth. There's just, there's, there was just something about that story that stuck out to me all the, all these years later that you told that one. <laughs> that and the toilet yeah. seat. <laughs> that toilet seat sticks in everybody's memory. That that always Did that <laughs> did that make like a nice sickening like thud when it hit? It made a loud crack because I broke it around the ring post. Uh did you get quite the and pop it, from the crowd for that? Um there was a lot of laughing. Which is fine. You know, the the heel tries to do something heelish and it, it it fails on him. That's fine. Laughter actually makes sense. It's it's the time when when the bully on the Simpsons says ha ha at at someone who deserves it, I guess. I'm not sure how to No, I get what that. you're saying. Okay, fair enough. See Matt All right. Matt, do you have any other questions? Uh, just, uh, how about, you think you've talked about this before, but what's like the biggest, uh, kind of the biggest name you've worked with directly or been on a card with, I guess either, I guess both, um, directly. <laughs> I had matches with the guy who, for lack of a better term, he was our local pro, a guy mm-hmm. by the name of John Noble, John Noble had, I guess, the unfortunacy of being a few years too early because John Noble was an average height guy, but he did a lot of work to, like, build up build up his physique. So, you know, he's built dude, you know, <coughs> strong, muscular, that sort of stuff. But even with saying that, he's an average-sized dude, and he, he just hit 200. And so, you know, he had tryouts with the big leagues, and they're like, "Well, you you don't fly like cruiserweight, but you're too too small to work like a big heavyweight." And it's unfortunate because God, when it came came to the psychology, he was he not just was he is great. Um, he and I had just a full bore silly match that involved. Uh, what's the best way I can put it? It involved, um, I had a, we had a spot where he collapses in the middle of the ring from running the rope so much. He looks to the outside and I like, I'm holding, I'm holding somebody's cup, getting ready to take a drink. And I like toast him. Cause I was just watching him do that. Uh, we did one where we did a spot in that, where he did the full on like bugs, bunny backs up into somebody and like feels all the way up from the floor to see who it is behind him spot. Um, you know, 
and it was so easy because you know it, it, it he was so easy to work with and it was uh, so much fun on the card <coughs> i guess this is the name dropping portion uh bobby eaton al snow and bobby fulton are the top the first three that come to mind um al has taken so many stinking and um i guess bart batten would be the 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 next one that comes to mind too al's taken so many shots to the head that his memory shot and so i don't assume that he remembers me you know and you never assume that (coughs) but um yeah first night in the business i was sitting in the locker room next to bobby eaton which is where i developed my my rule which is don't mark out be cool just be cool because they get that crap all the time just be cool and just say you know it's nice to meet you i hope you have a good night if you have a question for him ask it politely that's that's who i remember off the top of my head i mean that's pretty cool i would love to i would love to be just sitting there next to bobby eaton yeah, yeah, that was <coughs> sitting there and just, wait a minute, that reminds me, another early show I did, Ricky Morton was on the card. Yeah, uh, he's probably the biggest one then. Yeah. But, well, anyway, so, all that stuff, um, just good to, you know, it was just, I didn't, I didn't bother people, they had a job to do, and part of their job was not dealing with some boy fanboy someone fanboying on them. So that that's how I approached it. So uh it, when those guys came through was there a discernible difference in the house? Sometimes. It, it depended on the promotion. How much how much promotional work did they do? Um it's so, you know, sometimes it did, then sometimes it didn't because the word didn't get out like their street teams didn't post their their posters or something like that okay yeah i mean if word got out yeah people showed up but you know sometimes sometimes some some folks didn't do what they were supposed to so i guess we should do do the story before we call tonight so what um what ultimately ended your wrestling career oh god okay Here's basically what it boiled down to. So I'm doing the the Hill Preacher gimmick, right? (coughs) And um, we had, there was one night we had this tournament. And in the, the part of, part of this crazy Hill Preacher thing, because I was so good at pissing people off. As a baby face, I get people involved, but I was good at pissing people off. We get to the last match in this tournament, <coughs> and I take this shot and I go, I go down. Except when I go down, it, I, I, it's not, it's wrong. Like whenever I go down, and I'm laying there and I start pulling myself up, and the first thing that occurs to me is to go, "What was that?" And then I go. And I start like working my mouth 
because in my life, I have been concussed a few times. I think I'm right at the limit before CT starts becoming a real concern. And whenever it's happened to me, it, it's felt like my tongue swelled. So it gets hard for me to talk. And it feels like my brain's packed with cotton. Like, you know, it's like like you're, you're, you're something fragile packed up to move so it can't move around. And I thought to myself, oh, God, what, what? What is this? And it occurred to me on the drive home, because I drove myself home from that, um, that it's like, you know, I've been hurting a lot after shows. And so, you know, I have have a few more shows for a few more months, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not stretching right or something like that. And God, it keeps hurting and hurting and hurting. And finally... I start getting this I got I got my bell rung again, not quite a concussion, but still I didn't go down right. And um I've got this pain, like nasty pain working its way down my arm. And so I'm like, well, okay. And so I go to my doctor and my doctor's like, Are you still in uh I know we try and keep keep to the PG-13 rating, but my doctor's like, are you still doing that stupid shit? And I was like, well, it's kind of what I want to ask you about. He looks at me and goes, what happened? I said, well, I've kind of rung my bell and my neck and my shoulders keep hurting and, you know, I'm getting this pain down my arm and my doc goes, okay. All right. And like immediately walks me into the the lab for an x-ray. And so I'm standing there and they give me these weights to hold so that like I can't have my shoulders right up or anything. And they take like four or five x-rays. And I go and I sit down in the exam room and my doc comes in and says to me, it's like, well, I know what's going on. I said, okay. And looks at me and says, first of all, you have military neck. I go, okay, what, what what does that mean? And there's a, I've got to look real quick because I can't remember what the, what the actual name to it is. There's um, there's a there's a, what's the name called? Anyway, you don't have a curve in your neck anymore. Like that's been, that's been straightened out, which is part of what lets your neck absorb shock, right? And he goes, and it's worse than that. And I went, oh, oh, good. He said, well, first of all, you're getting this pain down down your arm and across your back because you've, with your neck straightening like that, you've got a disc that will every now and then start pressing on a nerve. And I was like, oh, that's not good. And he says, oh, no, it gets even better because I have bone spurs in my vertebrae, too. So it's not just, it's, oh, I just found it. It's called cervical kyphosis. Hmm. Okay. You know what I'm talking about now? Uh, I, cause I have I've seen a lot of med, yeah, I've seen a lot of medical records in my day. Usually it's, I don't see that that often. I think that's a little more rare, but I don't usually, <laughs> I don't usually look at the medical records of, uh, yeah. <laughs> professional wrestler. Okay, so. fair enough. Um, I think I, I suspect I do Austin see has the same thing because he—that's why he refers to his neck as a stack of dimes. Mm. Yeah, I do see 
I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, just like degenerative disc disease, like the, I've seen bone spurs, that sort of thing. Usually like, like kind of built up arthritis. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this was when I was, God, this was when I was 33. Like I was 33 and the doctor's telling me this and I went, so doc is, are you, are you telling me that I need to hang my boots up? And my doctor looks at me and goes, I'm telling you that if you don't agree to hang them up, I'm going to call the commission and have your license canceled. And I went, well, that pretty much does it. Um, the difficult part is that now, um, I don't. I never know what's gonna what's gonna start causing that. I never know when I'm gonna start getting you know getting an effect for it. I might go like three months without having an incident of it coming up, and then I might have it happen for like four weeks straight, just re- repeated occurrences of that pain kicking in, and that's really tough, you know, because my little boys, you know, wanting daddy to 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 crawl into his playhouse with him or something like that. And I just suck it up and, and deal because uh, this is, this is my fault. This is a result of choices that I made. So I just have to accept that that's going to be part of my life now. Um, I do not have an opiate prescription on it because I told my doctor up front, I was like, don't, don't even consider that. I've seen what that's done to people. And the other side to it is I've been in the, I was in the hospital when I was younger for unrelated stuff. And I didn't like what opiates did to me. Like they were necessary to, to mitigate the pain I was in, but I didn't like what they did to me. So I was like, don't just, just don't. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes, Sometimes I can take some ibuprofen and loosen the muscles up around my neck and, and head it off. And then sometimes I'm just in pain for three or four days. And, you know, that's that's part of what it is. I suspect part of that is the fact that I got into wrestling. I didn't get into wrestling like when I was 18 or 20. At that time when when your body is not only more resilient but is also can adapt more mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you know you ever wonder why randy orton has had such a long career even even having the injuries he's had because his body's honestly it adapted to it early and you know um then you start thinking about why was rico constantino hurt so much because he got started in it late and you know that's that's my theory anyway is is why that happens well guys is that uh that do it for the questions you had for me i think so yep we might have to revisit this uh later on sure and maybe we can even get some other guys i used to work with on or something like that for for a different uh perspective yeah that'd be cool but i i do appreciate you guys i guess kind of stoking my eagle a little bit to, to ask me about this stuff, but hopefully there's been some, 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 uh, fun insight to have out of it. Yeah, I think um, so. I think it's, I'm, I'm always interested in your perspective because not having <laughs> done it, I think there's certain, um, there's certain mental aspects that I think people like 
me that haven't done it do not understand fully. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And then the other, then like I like I said through this whole thing, take all that stuff you're thinking about trying to do, and then try and do it while you're getting punched in the face. Yeah, I'm sure that's fun. <laughs> Well, folks, this has been the uh, Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. We've been three corners. You're in the fourth. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, hit us up on social media. I'm Shad here with uh, Brad and Matt. Thank you all very much.